Are you ready, ladies? Stand tall. Straighten those crowns and show them what you're made of. You're listening to the Farm Queen Podcast. So today on the podcast, we have Trisha, and she is going to tell us all about herself. I'm not going to steal any of her thunder. Trisha, welcome. If you would, could you tell us about yourself, your farm, you know, name farm, where are you? Um, What is it that you do on your farm, of course? How long you've been at it? Give us maybe a day in the life picture, if you would. Okay. So I am Trisha Park, and my farm is Creekside Meadows Farm. It is 150 acres um, in the town of Casanova, which is in Madison County, in New York. Um, we raise 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef, um, pasture, woodland, raised pork, vegetables, and cut flowers for our summer farm stand, uh, popcorn, maple syrup. Ooh. And I do handcrafted soaps and salves. We also do some firewood and some woodworking. We have a sawmill on the farm so we can cut lumber and stuff like that. And um, we've been doing this. Well, it started as a homestead, but as far as like selling product, it's been about 20 years now. So we've been doing it quite a quite a while and it's changed a lot from when we started. Very cool. I I think your standout, um, you said popcorn and and maple syrup, and that's definitely a a very rare um, couple of products to hear from small farms. So what made you guys get into that? Because you've obviously got like the grass fed and the the meats and all that kind of stuff. But what made you deviate into popcorn and maple syrup? (laughs) Well, when we, we moved to this farm 12 years ago, from like 15 minutes away, we had 26 acres. And when we moved, um, we had about a dozen really big old maple trees in the front yard. And at our old place, we didn't have any mature maple trees or access to them really to do maple syrup. And we love maple syrup. So we started tapping the trees and set up a really crude, simple boiler system you know, made this little fire box with cement blocks and put a big stainless steel pan on it and cooked down the syrup. And, you know, we'd get a gallon and then get a couple gallons and just kind of learned along the way of how to make it properly. And um, kind of got hooked and the farm's 150 acres and there's about 20 acres of maple trees oh my gosh. above our house. And so um, decided one year the price on like all the tubing and stuff wasn't all that bad. We had some extra money. We had sold some maple syrup and hey, let's take that money, put it into this. But a bunch of taps and a bunch of line and our son, Cameron, who's 26 now at the time, he was, he's still all, it's maple syrup tapping is his deal. So he's went up and started tapping it and running the line down. So instead of going out and hauling five gallon buckets of sap, uh, we had it come right down and go into a tank. 
and um, slowly, you know, got a bigger boiler. We're probably going to get another bigger boiler. We're still not that big. I, like right now, we'll, on a good year, we do 50 gallons. So we're still small, but still a little bit bigger than most people. Keeps us busy. And it's um, one of those things, you know, on the farm, there's not much going on in February and March. So that fit with it, um, you know, keeps us going and gets us outside and doing stuff and utilizing part of the farm that we really weren't utilizing. So that's how the maple syrup is. And then, um, of course, we all love it. So kind of helps when you really like your product. And then the popcorn, I had grown popcorn years and years ago at, the, at our old place. And then with the move and everything, got out of it and then decided, no, I want to grow popcorn again. And so we had tried, we did some, just a regular hybrid from Johnny Seeds and it did really well. We really wanted to save the seed instead of keep buying the seed. And so we, um, I found the seed that I used to grow, which was a Japanese white hollis popcorn, which is really nice. It's a, it's a small, it pops small and tender, but there's no hole to get stuck in your teeth and stuff which was always annoying to me. So we started growing that, save the seed. And then we tend to like to experiment. So uh, the next year we raised a Vermont red popcorn, which is an heirloom popcorn, um, the glass gem, which is like a rainbow colored popcorn. And then we also decided to do a hybrid one called mushroom and mushroom popcorn has nothing to do with mushrooms, except it pops into a big ball. So it looks like the top of a mushroom. <laughs> and so there, those are the four types um, that we grow and um, we're popcorn addicts. So that always helps. And it's a nice thing that you can grow that it's shelf stable. So we don't have to worry about keeping it frozen or anything like that. And so that's how that happened. And they're fun and delicious. So, so as far as a day in the life, we have to ask now, how often does your family eat popcorn? <laughs> I do not eat it every night. I'm probably a couple times a week. My husband and son will probably have it almost every night or every other night. Um, my son likes the white hollis and my husband likes the mushroom. I think because it holds more butter. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so. Makes sense. Makes sense. So you mentioned, obviously, that you moved and you certainly upsized your farm by a significant amount. But what is it that got you into farming in the first place? It was pretty much by accident. Um, we um, lived in a barn and had 26 acres. Uh, my husband had the barn in the 26 acres when I met him. We were in our 20s. He had bought it really cheap. It was down the road from his parents. And when we got married, we just built an apartment in the barn, well, a small 30 by 30 apartment in the barn and had a massive garden. You know, we had the land and stuff and had a massive garden. And then we would mow the land with my father-in-law's Super A, Farmall Super A, and let the neighbor dairy farmer use some of the land for corn. 
And my husband had always wanted to have his own beef cattle. And his dad had always told him, oh, yeah, someday, someday. Well, I didn't say someday. <laughs> I got <laughs> talked into it. And so next, you know, we've got, we bought a couple of Herefords from a beef farmer down the road and got some chickens. Now, I grew up in the country on an acre and a half with a bunch of apple trees. I didn't know anything about animals. So I was very busy at the library getting out books and learning how to do this and um, started selling the eggs really super cheap. And then, you know, we get, we put some of the beef in the freezer and said, wow, this just tastes really great. Why does it taste different and even better than what you get in the store and found out that grass-fed beef, that, which is what we were doing. We didn't have any money to buy grain. We were just feeding them grass and hay was what the difference was. And then we decided, hey, if we improve the steak that much and the eggs that much, let's raise some pigs and make the, por the uh, pork chops better. So we started doing that and then started doing meat chickens. And then, you know, you'd share some with family and they liked it and they'd tell their friends about it. Next, you know, we've got people asking us to raise some more. And so we just started growing that way of, you know, add on a few more, add on a few more, add on a few more. Until we had um, a herd of Scottish Highlander beef cattle, and then we would raise 20 or so pigs a year. We would raise, I think at our peak was like a thousand meat birds and a hundred turkeys. Wow. And it got a little, it, yeah. <laughs> we found out we were really good at it and the customers really appreciated it. And the more we grew, the more they wanted. And we kept on running out. Um. So we were looking for more land because we really couldn't use any more of the land that we had without over impacting it. We were actually over impacting it at the time. And so we started talking about buying more land and where we were, we couldn't really buy more land. It was being gobbled up or put into trust or forever wild and stuff like that. And my husband did not want to move. He doesn't like change at all. <laughs> well, here we were we had this barn house we still had it finished it we still didn't live in all of it it was 100 by 33 foot long so it was pretty big and we only lived in maybe a third of it and we built more barns for the animals and stuff and I wanted to move I'm like we could sell this place right now so this is around 2007 or so and then when the economy tanked that was like we really we're going to sell. And then, you know, Wall Street and the real estate market just crashed and it was not the best time to try and sell. Mm -hmm. uh, so we had to wait a little bit and finish things up and make things look pretty. And during that time, I had signed up to take this class called um, whole, Far whole Farm Planning for Beginning Women Farmers. And it was a massive grant from the USDA with Holistic Management International. And in New York State, it was um, another organization that was training farmers. And so um, this was like five different states had this same program going, It'd be like 20 women. So I was in the first class and that class really just set us up of figuring out what our goals were as a family and the farm. And then also um, just how to make management decisions in line with those goals. 
So you don't go off on these tangents of, hey, I want to raise goats. Let's get a bunch of goats. And there was no reason to have goats, <laughs> which I had <laughs> tried before that. <laughs> so it really focused, you know, what we wanted as family. I mean, our son was, I think, 11 or 12 at the time, and he was homeschooled and really loved the farm, really wanted to stay on the farm. But we knew, you don't know if that's going to change, too. Um, I learned about financial planning, and then we got into land management and grazing management, but um, oh, also like business plans and stuff like that. So we really got a lot of training, or I did, and um, got our business plan in order and our finances in order so it would help us buy a larger farm. And my husband has had an off-the-farm job, too, to help with that. And so um, we ended up selling the farm and then it took about eight months between selling that farm and moving out till we got to this farm. And we spent an entire winter in a 1996 camper trailer with very little insulation by my in-laws up the road. Sounds cold. It was, (laughs) it was crazy stressful. I look at campers now and I cringe. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it makes my stomach ache to think of everything we went through. But um, we ended up getting this farm like 20 minutes away from the other farm. And we were really looking for like 60 to 80 acres. And oh, wow. you would Big think it'd difference. be easy to find and buy. And at the time with the real estate market, the way it was, farms were going under, but then it's tied up with foreclosure stuff, or they were just selling the land off in parcels for housing. And so we ended up finding this place. A friend of mine from the training told me about it. And I said, it's too big and it's too much money. And um, it was. <laughs> <laughs> there were times when we first moved in, I'm hiking around, I go, I'm going to get lost. I know it's only 150 acres. So I'm going to get lost. <laughs> but um, we ended up getting it, got the price down. And then just because of all the financial training and stuff, figured out what we could afford. Um. And then how great the land was because it was so diversified that we had like a cedar grove. So we would never have to buy fence posts. It had all the woodlot. So we don't have to buy firewood. We could, we had a very small sawmill at the time. So we could get a bigger sawmill and use that to build buildings and stuff. So, and there was a gravel bed on the farm. And so we just looked at all the stuff that we would normally be spending to build things and um, decided to go for it because in the end, in a way, it would save us money and build the farm and it would be all that we would ever need. So um, it ended up coming together. Extremely stressful, not easy. I never want to do it again. Just about killed all three of us, but we made it. So. Yeah, I I think I would call that. I don't know. I don't I don't think I'd respond as well going through the uh, purchase process of like, man, this is way bigger, twice the size of what we were looking for. Yeah, but that had there wasn't much out there to stay in the area, Um, and we looked for. Gosh, we had been looking for like two years, and went round and round and round, and um, and then got lucky with this one. And it's it's really nice. It's a very similar type area that we lived in before similar soils um i grew up literally 
10 minutes away. And then the other farm is only 20 minutes away. So it was, we were both familiar with the area and, and have family nearby. And when we moved in, the neighbors thought we were like city folk moving in. Um, and I was like, no, no, believe me, we're about as redneck as you can come. Don't you see all the piles of junk we're hauling in? Yeah. I was going to say, you brought your junk pile with you, didn't you? Oh, there was a lot of junk that came with us. So yeah, but it was, it was, it's been worth it. It sure sounds like it, given everything that you've grown over the years and, and you know, just kind of the scale at what you're doing, everything. It certainly sounds like, I don't know if uh, you, you know, you, you got lucky and you picked a property that was bigger than you thought you needed, but it was the right size. Or if you guys grew into the property size or <laughs> either we've way, it sounds of, like a good fit. Yeah. We've kind of grown into the size, and but we've changed what we do. So when we move, we were also doing uh, we had been selling eggs. We retired the the laying flock, so we no longer do eggs. And then a few years after we moved, well, actually, probably four years ago, we stopped doing the meat chickens and the turkeys. We still do some for ourselves, but we don't do them to sell. Um, we had gotten pretty big with it, but the, we were growing the beef herd and growing the pigs too. Um, so we ended up retiring those enterprises. Uh, we did all the butchering for the poultry on the farm, which is a whole other thing. And it's really physically intensive and my hands were, had damage from it. And um, with everything going on, we decided, all right, time to retire that. So we've done a gotcha. lot of things, so, but we, we've got it, it sounds like pretty fine tuned down to what we, like and what works for us now that's really cool to hear that you've you've like you worded it you fine-tuned it to what what best suits you guys as opposed to you know keep doing all the things just because somebody will well somebody will want it but I like that you guys are doing more of what what matters to you so kind of shifting gears a little bit um I wish we could sit and talk about your farm all day long but people want to know they have to know this crown you got. How did it feel when you got the crown? I, Karen, who had it before me, sends me a message about it. And I kind of laughed and said, that sounds kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> and then she's like, well, you got to look at my page and stuff and look this up. And I was looking up and I went, wow, this is, this is pretty cool. And I think I'd heard a little bit of it somewhere, probably online. And um, then it was like, this is, this is really neat. It was really an honor that she thought of me. I've known her for a long time, actually, um, through her job at NRCS, she was there or is their grazing specialist. And so she would go around giving talks back when we started, there was some small groups and stuff around that have a meeting, a grazing meeting or a little conference. And I'd see her there and she'd be talking about grazing and stuff. And um, then we were on a planning committee for a conference quite a few years ago called Grass Travaganza. And it was in the wintertime in Binghamton. So we were on the planning committee for that. And now we're on the planning committee for the one coming up this year in July. I get talked into these things. 
Um, it seems like people know by December, things are getting quieter on the farm and Trish has time. Talk her into something like this. So I. She's too quiet. She's got too much downtime. Make her busy uh-huh. again. <laughs> Keep her out of trouble. Put her on a planning committee. So um, that was That's a good way to put it. Neat. Very cool. So what is it? What does it mean to you then to to wear the crown? It's heavy. I'll say that <laughs> <laughs> the crown itself. <laughs> the crown. Anybody gets it, you you pick it up out of the box. You're like, wow, this has got some heft to it. Probably needs it, so we don't break it. Um, <laughs> we did factor that in when picking it. We wanted something that would not be, you know, the dollar store cracks the first time somebody, you know, drops it in a pasture. <laughs> it was, no, it's an honor um, to know that I've impacted someone who knows so many people because she knows lots of people. And um, I know a lot of people too, but it's always nice when you find out that what you do matters and people notice it. And, uh, it impacted them in a positive way and that you can use this or I can use this to continue that positiveness and show people, you know, the farm and what I do, what we do. Um, Cause you know, women are getting more recognition. It's certainly a lot easier now to be a woman farmer than in past years, at least in our area. Um, and right. so anytime that we can speak up and show what we do and not just share it with other farmers, but get maybe some more recognition in the public. So people know where their food comes from and that, uh, it matters, you know, it's family farms that are making a living off the land and it's a good thing. So you mentioned it's easier to be a woman farmer these days, which is a perfect segue into the next couple of questions. Um, what what would you say is one of the most common misconceptions that you've encountered as far as being a woman in agriculture? And whether that's a misconception from fellow farmers or from customers or wherever. You know, I back when we were first doing it, I would encounter people that were, you know, where's your husband? You know, did he say this is okay? You know, where's the farmer? You're just the wife. I don't get that much anymore. Um, kind of learned to stick up for myself and pretty much in their face of, no, um, I'm here. I'm doing this. This is, you know, you're talking to the person that you need to be talking to. And people see it when they stop here too. Um, there's there's very little chance that they're going to be confused. Of, um, who runs the show? Yeah, who pretty much <laughs> runs the show quite often. But it still is a partnership. But um, I think it's got better. You know, I was just filling out the ag census last week. And my name was first on the address line. So that's, I always like that because... I remember getting it before and being really ticked off and going, what the hell? Really? There's <laughs> somebody else that lives in this house where it's nice. just as hard, you know? And so there's that little stuff uh, that's changed. Um, I think 
women are just, they're stepping up more, demanding more, demanding the recognition. And, and we need to keep doing that. You know, I was in the Air Force for three years in Turkey and then in the Air National Guard and I was a mechanic. So I was in a very male dominated field all that time. And then I was in a country that where women had very little voice, very little rights at all. And it made me really thankful for the rights I had as an American and a woman um, in America. And that merely matters. And so, you know, we have rights and sometimes we have to really uh, remind people of that and stand up for it. But, um, you know, we're, as farmers, we're professionals and we have to get the job done and can't be whining, or at least not whining too much. <laughs> um, I think if you show more people that you're a professional, because this is an occupation, it's a profession. You're a professional, you're highly skilled. Um, not everybody can grow food. That's why there's so few farmers in the country now. And if we all um, step up and show our skill, remind people that, you know, you're eating three times a day. That's not just a saying. And most people aren't even growing all their own food. Um, so it's highly skilled. Mm -hmm. So um, I th really think it's gotten better. There's, there's also, I've seen like the misconception of, since there's so much social media that there's a lot of like the reels that are out there on Instagram and stuff on Facebook and then YouTube, where these women farmers, not all of them, but some of them put out this perception, you know, their makeup's done perfectly. Their hair is great. Mm-hmm. Um, their nails are unbelievable um, and they're painted and there's no chips in them and they're long and I can't understand that. <laughs> um, you know, they might be wearing their, their out, outdoor gear, but there's no mud on it. There's no grease on it. There's no crap on it. Um, it's just like, it's that unrealistic, unrealistic thing. So it becomes this misconception that when you're a woman farmer, you're supposed to look a certain way and have things a certain way and your house should be always clean always tidy and dinner is ready at five o'clock and everything's perfect and that really that can really drag you down when you get caught into some of that and so uh, more of us need to step up and show when we're not all prettied up and you know, I was doing videos yesterday and I'm wearing a hat and there's reason I was wearing a hat. It was cold out, but I had it. My hair was a mess. <laughs> I, we were boiling syrup for three days. It was just like, I don't have time to bother with this, but I had on um, kind of stuff and more people, you know, we need to be sharing that and um, it's real. Get rid of some of those misconceptions that um, women have to have it all and be perfect. Uh, we all probably need someone, a housekeeper. I know I do. <laughs> yeah, I started uh, giving my kids more chores this week just to see if it would help avoid the need for the housekeeper because 
the whole no mud thing is a joke. And, you know, yeah. even if you, I've been hosed, I have to hose the mud off my bibs and bring them in and, and then they're wet and then they drip and then you have to mop the floor. And, you know, I think that's where the term mud room came from. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> needed just a room in the house that didn't need to be cleaned. Just this room has mud. That's it. Everywhere else can be clean, but not this one. Yeah. Um, I do want to ask you as far as that, I, I know exactly kind of who you're talking about this, this image of, we'll call them spick and span farm women that, you know, like you said, the nail polish, the makeup and all that stuff. And I, you know, anybody who wants to wear makeup on their social media, of course, by all means, go ahead and do it. But do you feel like that perhaps seems to be more of um, like the hobby farm homestead more kind of level women farmers that you see that way? Do you see that or do you see it pretty commonly among, we'll call it like your level kind of farming of, you know, like you guys are not joking around that you, you are clearly the type of woman that says, you know, I don't, I don't need to care what I look like. I just need to get the job done. That's what, you know, that's what matters to you more. I can tell. So would you say that you see that kind of, you know, sparkly presentation more so towards, like I said, like the hobby farm homestead kind of size? I've seen it both, or at least, you know, I'll watch YouTube videos and, you know, the woman is farming, um, I, I don't know how much money they're making from the farmer if they're getting more of it from YouTube. <laughs> There's that. So maybe they are. Yeah, that might help too. You know, that's how I've, I've seen it both ways. I mean, there's a lot of them that are what they're doing. They're not running it as a business to make a profit. Um, yeah. They're mm-hmm. showing a lot of pretty stuff and make it look like that they have. I mean, I consider a farm to be a farm business and it's run as such if you're not running your farm as a business to be profitable and to stay in business and, you know, to make a living or at least somewhat of a living, um, then you're a, you're a hobby, you're a homestead, which there's nothing wrong with it. Um, but you have other sources of income to fund that. Um, and there's nothing wrong with it. But when you start saying, Oh, I'm a farmer and I've got 12 chickens that's not really what you're doing. Um, so it's it, a tough distinction. Kinda, yeah. it, it gets this tricky thing of there's nothing wrong with having a hobby and having a, a big hobby. But if your other source of income is propping that up, then yeah, it's a hobby. I mean, technically, when you look at like the IRS and your accountant, that's what they're going to tell you. Um, so but I I've seen it both ways right. and um if I see the woman that's farming and it's more real then I'm probably going to watch it the other ones I just get really disgusted with them and leave and say this is just not realistic um if you want the fantasy you can watch a movie and read a book but I try to stick with the ones that are actually really doing it and we get the honest thing that they are, which we all really do need a lot more honesty and facts than the story or the fake story. That makes sense. I hear you. So in case anybody, uh, you know, didn't quite draw the right conclusions, can you tell us 
maybe for your customers specifically, if they're listening, what is one thing you wish they knew about your life as a farm woman? Gosh, that's hard because I really, I've been looking at that question for a while and going, oh, I don't know, but because I sent out a pretty regular email to our customers and we have quite a few of them. And even if they're not buying from us, they're reading the emails and they really like them. And I'm pretty honest in there. Um, they get a lot of the nitty gritty, you know, when an animal's sick or an animal dies or there's these bugs on this plant or I had a crop failure with this or it's pretty much, you know, I'm sick of mud, got crap in your hair, <laughs> stuff like that. They, they really, I lay it on there and they like it. I think telling that story really helps connect them and keep them as customers because they they get that connection and they know what they're doing matters and so there's not really much that they don't know from around here I mean they know that (laughs) we have very lively discussions um, on stuff and we make mistakes and things break and we swear and (laughs) the air turns blue and then there's you know we'll share the rosy picture too but I'm I'm pretty much like um, if you see a picture online and it's food that I made and it looks all pretty it was by luck (laughs) um just be like Put it on the plane. Go, man. This really looks good in this light. I better snap a picture because you're not going to see this again for probably another two, three weeks. You know, um, but they, 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 they get a load of it. I'm pretty honest, and and they really have asked me to do it. And when I do share stuff like that, I'm always getting emails and texts and stuff from them going, "I really like that. Thanks for sharing it. It was really real." and Hey, when can I get, get another order of this, then the other thing too. So <laughs> that's so, very cool. More, more people need to, the, you know, their customers need to know. Um, and it really, in many cases, will lead you to have more loyal customers if you're selling products. So. Very cool. I like how you put that, that they not only get it, you know, the honesty and everything from you anyway, but I like how you keep saying that it's needed. I would I would definitely agree with that, that there's a lot of, like you said, with, you know, kind of going back to the women with the hair done and the nails and the, there's a certain image that I think is put forward. And, you know, we tend to hide the negatives of, you know, don't let them see the mud. Don't let them see that this junk pile exists. Don't let them see my hair when it's messy. And it's like, it's, you know, it's life. It's farm life. It's farm woman life. So yeah, interesting. So I do want to deviate real quick and go back to something you mentioned about being um, being a veteran. And I would love to know if that has colored how you've approached your farm life at all, having that in your background. It, um, so I was a mechanic and I got out of the, let's see, I was, was in the regulars for three years and then I was in the Air National Guard and I got out of that when I was pregnant with my son so I haven't been back to it um, and then we didn't start really with animals till he was around two and he was probably five or six when we really started doing the farm so I understood the mechanics 
even though I don't do it anymore, I married a mechanic who's much better than I am. And then our son is also a mechanic. So um, I don't have to do that stuff. But, um, it, you know, I I still work with um, veterans who are beginning farmers and who are farming now. And we all have a different attitude. Like this is, um, we're lucky to be able to cho choose what we do in this country. We have a lot of choice mm -hmm. and a lot of people in the military have seen the outside of the country, the nitty gritty, the really stuff that is total opposite of what we have makes you really grateful. Um, but it, it also, you know, you're given a lot of responsibility. At least I was, you know, I, I had my own crew that I was responsible for fixing equipment and stuff and people's lives matter. And to just take that and um, now, now we're responsible for, you know, food that goes on people's table, but taking care of the livestock um, and stuff has to be done. Um, we have probably a, sometimes a better work ethic for some of it. Um, and to think back, you know, dairy farmers, when I were growing up, a lot of them, probably almost all of them were veterans out of some of the wars. I mean, the older dairy farmers were coming out of World War II when I was young, so, or had come out of World War II, but they were a lot older then, and um, they didn't really talk about it, but um, they knew how to do it and get it done. And that's kind of the thing here of, we know how to do it, we get it done. If you don't know how to do it, you learn how to do it. Um, there's things like that. Uh, it's, it's, it was a whole bunch of stuff out of it that if I had it gone in, I would be a totally different person. So, but I do have a great appreciation for the opportunities that we all have and it really matters. So, and it's something that sometimes is forgotten. Mm -hmm. So. And would you say that that really kind of affects your, I guess, your drive to kind of keep going? Definitely. Um, we want to keep the land prosperous. You know, not just making money, but make sure that it's cared for. And whenever we um, can't farm anymore, that it's always better than when we started. And we've been here just almost 12 years and it's way better than when we started. So that's always nice. But um, yeah, it's, there's a lot of determination. You know, we were told a lot when we were starting that you can't do that. You're not going to make it. Um, we were told when we were selling the old farm, oh, must be you're going out of business. Couldn't make it, huh? It's like, no, we're buying a 150 acre farm. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of that stubbornness of there's not much option for failure because we're you know in the military you're trained you're highly trained and there's not really a it will get done and it will get done right um there's 
We're not trained to fail. And that comes through with what we do here is, no, it'll get done. And it'll get done right. And it'll be cared for. And then um, it's just, that's just what happens. You know, things will change, but it gets done. Such a great perspective and a great approach. Would you say that that is pretty much the mentality that that keeps you going when times might get tough? Is there anything outside of that that really drives you? We've got a connection with our customers. I mean, I've got one customer that was, they were our first customer for pork 20 years ago. Literally raised their kids on our meats. Um, and there's been a few other ones that are still around. I'll see them every once in a while, or they've moved out of town and stuff, but they're still connected with us. And then the ones now they've been with us for quite a few years and they count on us to raise their food for them and do it the right way and give them something that's safe and healthy and nutritious and raise it in a way that they really like. Um, and that's a pretty heavy responsibility. I know when we stopped doing the meat chickens and the turkeys, it was an agonizing decision of we're going to lose customers and they counted us, on us for this. And so that, but we had to make a change. <laughs> we had to just for ourselves. And um, it was a good thing that there was another farm starting up. Um, that I could refer them to. So that was kind of nice, but I mean, it's a big, it's a big, um, it's a commitment from our customers and we give them the commitment too. And so I don't want to let them down. So there, you know, there's that stuff of, we like feeding people and they like, they like it too. And, and, and they tell us that quite often, you know, every once in a while we'll get a, a negative thing. Um, and it kind of bumps you out, but then the positive always outweighs it. So you can keep going. Like I was, we have a summer farm stand where I sell vegetables and someone last left a nasty letter a couple of years ago, like a full page letter hmm. in small print of, Ooh. it was pretty nasty um, about how our prices were high and we were robbing people and um, our cucumbers, um, the seed must be worth more than gold from these cucumbers because they charge so much for these cucumbers. And it went on and on and on. And it was one of those days in August where it was so hot. And my husband and son had were off the farm and they went to some farm show thing. So I was here by myself and it was so hot that I had to go out and just check, check everybody's water a couple times a day, just to make sure they were had water. And then I'm still working with vegetables and it's so hot. I got to make sure that there's water systems on the lettuce, the lettuce isn't a bitter back and forth. And I go to the farm stand and I open up our refrigerator cooler and it's not cold. It's warm in there. And I had just packed it full the day before with hundreds of dollars worth of vegetables, like leafy greens and lettuce and spinach oh. stuff and beans. And it was warm and it was wilted and oh. the compressor had died on it. And I'm like so sweaty and so filthy. 
and I just want to sit down and cry. And I went over to the cash box and we have a lock box on the wall and I opened it up to see what was in there. And um, there's this letter folded up in the cash box and I opened it up and I read it. And <laughs> I was so mad. I was so <laughs> sick and mad. And I, I was just, I couldn't believe that. <laughs> I don't think I've been that mad before. <laughs> I was like, really? You, you're sending me this and you're worried about I'm charging a dollar for cucumbers? A dollar. You know what they are at the grocery store? I was just ranting and raving back and forth. <laughs> and then I'm yeah. taking all the ruined vegetables out of the cooler and I'm just, I was swearing up a storm. And then I was like, fine, I'm going in the house. I quit. I'm not doing anything. Screw everybody. <laughs> and I went in the house uh-huh. and I was like ch- trying to chill out stuff. My husband and son came home and they're like, you know, you got to shrug it off as one person, you know, they're being nasty. And, um, and then I was like, you know what, I'm going to put this down at the farm stand. So I laminated it. it. I laminated it. I posted it down the farm stand with a rebuttal. And then I went on social media and I posted it on our Facebook page. I posted it on Instagram. Mm -hmm. I went on some um, farming Facebook pages and I posted it. And I was just like, see, this is the crap, you know, some of us have to deal with oh and gosh. I'm not going to take it anymore. <laughs> and there was, for you. there was thousands and thousands and thousands of responses um, from just, I mean, on our personal page was customers, neighbors, or anybody that follows us. And then on the farm pages, it was just farmers going, how dare they? Da, 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 da. And you're not charging enough for cucumbers. What do they mean they're expensive? <laughs> Back and forth. Um, I mean, that's like some of the stuff that you know I shared with our customers. I mean, the email went out to everybody going, if I find this person, it's not going to be pretty. I'm going to chew them out. <laughs> now I don't even really care. But um, yeah, it was just, we found out after that letter how much we really were appreciated, even more so than any other time. Um, and people were just coming out of the woodwork and coming to the farm stand and buying more stuff. And I was like, wow, that's a, I didn't think of that. <laughs> we need a couple more of those letters, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I was like, <laughs> this was a, a sales generating thing in a way. But, you know, I got lots of, hugs and um you know people would stop by with fresh cookies and all sorts of things and oh stuff it's like oh thank god but uh you know there's a lot of nasty stuff out there and someone was having a bad day and took it out on me and um I hope that was the only person that they did it to and they've stopped but yeah there's there's some um, there's always the bad, but then there's always the good ones and the customers come out and they say that great stuff and then it keeps you going. And then they leave you notes and they send you cards and then you keep them. And then when you have a really crappy day, you can look at that and go, okay, somebody loves uh, me. <laughs> oh, that's going. such a cool thing though. Very cool. That's why it's, you know, it's really important, you know, share to your customers because you'll get the nice ones that'll send you a card or give you a hug or, you know, give you a positive review or something. And then you go, okay, this, it matters. It really matters. If it matters to one person, it matters to a lot more people too. So 
Absolutely. It's reminding me of a quote I saw recently that it was something like, it's easier to have a customer become a friend than to have a friend become a customer. And you're yep. making me think of that of, you know, if you treat people right, how, how, and if you have a good product, of course, all of that plays into it too, but how easy it is to, to truly connect with good people when you've, you know, got a good, got a good thing going. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. So now that anybody hearing this is going to want to join the the fan club <laughs> and send you their nice notes of, of how great you are, where would be the best place for them to follow you? So um, it's Creekside Meadows Farm on Facebook. It's Creekside Meadows on Instagram. No farm on the end. Um, our website is creeksidemeadowsfarm.com. And I've got a blog on there that I've been trying to utilize more. But then you can also sign up for our um, farm update email. And then you get all the, the nitty gritty and um, all the, you know, the dirt and the pretty stuff and on there. And that comes out like every other week, sometimes a little more apart in the winter time. But that's pretty much, yeah, that's that's my stuff online. If anybody has any questions, you can post them. And um, they can also email me. The email's on the, on the website. And you can email if anybody has any questions or they're out here or whatever. And then um, part of this conference in the summer, Grass Travaganza in Morrisville at the end of July, we are also part of a farm tour as part of that conference too. So they can oh, go to cool. the conference and hear from other farmers and stuff. And, and they can always come up for a tour. Very cool, very cool. So before we wrap up, do you have any last um, words of inspiration or advice or anything like that for the listeners? Obviously don't, you know, tell people, go write your own fake nasty letter just to drum up sales and, <laughs> and customer love. But barring that advice, anything else? Um, just try to be real. Try to be helpful. You know, it's so easy, you know, when we're posting responses to questions on different social media groups and stuff that it's easy to write it wrong and someone misunderstands it or whatever, um, you know, try to, I guess, um, be helpful. And I think us women need to sometimes be a little less critical and with each other and um there's no stupid question really it can be some really stupid answers sometimes but there's <laughs> not really a stupid question <laughs> if you don't know you don't know but yeah be in and really just be real um if you're going to be on line and showing what you do show it all well i mean real within reason but uh, <laughs> yeah I mean you know just don't your car hearts don't have to be clean all the time you know hide your hair underneath a hat whatever but you've got to show when you know if something dies on the farm 
you can tell people about it um, carefully. You know, there's always a worry that it's going to come back on you. Um, Someone's going to say something nasty, but it's a chance to educate people, especially about what we do. So there's a, you know, I can't narrow it down to one thing, but make it real and educate people, not just customers or potential customers, but anybody who wants to raise some of their own food. I really like it that more people um, want to raise their own food. And I hope that they can learn things from those of us that are doing it. So they have a realistic expectation of if you're going to raise an animal for food, you're going to have to be able to eat it <laughs> too. Yep. <laughs> kind of thing. They, they, they need to know that, but you know, so I try to be helpful when I can and it seems to come back positively. So like the crown. So that's kind of nice. Mm-hmm. I got to figure out who to send it to now. <laughs> Yeah, everybody seems to be uh, struggling a little bit with how do I choose just one? <laughs> exactly. Because uh, there's a lot out there that I know of that I'm like, mm, this is going to be tough. Well, we Definitely. will we will certainly be eagerly awaiting who you pass it to. And I'm thrilled that you got it because it has been so great hearing your story and getting to know what you do and what drives you. And man, you're really something. You certainly, certainly deserve the crown without question. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. This was great. Well, thanks for having me on and doing this podcast. This is a really nice idea. It's a really nice idea. Thanks for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support our podcast by clicking the link in the description, by subscribing through your favorite podcast app, and by following us on your favorite social media platform. 